0: Hello again, and welcome back. I just wanted to ask a quick personal favor of you before we get into this episode. If you haven't already, it would really mean a lot if you could take 30 seconds, right here, right now, and leave this show a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Even if you don't use Apple Podcasts to listen, it would be really helpful for you to leave a rating and review there anyway. Those ratings help attract new listeners, market the show within the app, and maybe most importantly of all, help me bring on the very best possible guests. I know you think you'll do it later, but please just head over there right now and let me know what you think.
1: The summit is the appetizer. Your course is the entree. Your group program is a dessert. You really want to have it in your brain, that clear vision of where you want these people to go.
0: You're listening to Build a Better Wellness Biz. I'm your host, Jeremy Entz. In this episode, I'm talking with Nicole Ware. Nicole is a classic multi-potentialite, with three degrees and extensive experience hopping between multiple nursing disciplines. In addition to her work as a nurse, however, she also runs an agency where her and her team help women entrepreneurs run profitable virtual summits.
1: I don't know if that's just, I got bored or, or, or I just was like, I wanna try something new. I wanted to do something creative and nursing isn't the most creative thing in the world. So I really need an outlet.
0: In this episode, Nicole breaks down exactly what it takes to run a successful virtual summit. Starting by busting some myths about the purpose of a summit.
1: A lot of people will look at it as like the summit is the moneymaker. No, it can make you money. But getting people those qualified leads to your business, that's the moneymaker. To what you need to have in place before running a summit. The concept of a customer journey is really important for me. So if you feel like I just want to have a summit and, you know, I want to build my list and that's it. The summit will not be worth it. You need to have a clear idea of where you want to go. What separates Summits that do well from the ones that don't? The ones that really did well were the ones that had those speakers who were really going to bat for them and sending the emails and sending the social media and really cared about the host.
0: To how you can use sponsorships to cover the upfront costs of producing the Summit and how your best sponsors are often already right in front of you.
1: Speakers want a little bit more, you know, shine, <laughs> you know, other than here's my session the end, right? You know, they want to have their product or their business front and center. So look to your speakers first.
0: We also talk about the importance of consistency when it comes to growing your business and how that doesn't necessarily mean being equally consistent everywhere,
1: showing up every day, and it means something different for everybody, consistency, but consistency in what it is you're doing. So consistently reaching out to new potential clients, consistently growing your list, if that's what you're doing, being very consistent in what you're doing and not getting your eyes turned for every little thing. Nicole
0: has produced a lot of summits for a lot of people, but to set the stage, I wanted to hear about the most successful summit she's ever been involved with.
1: So I actually had like a home improvement, home design client um, who wanted to build her list. That was her main thing. She was like, I'm not looking to make a bunch of money on this. I really want to build a list. I want to have great collaborations. I want to have great talks with people. Um, and she made the decision to do the summit. Um, she had some amazing guests, people she knew, people she didn't know. She made some great connections. We ended up doing the actual summit and we got 30,000 people. Like- what <laughs> like, like we were like wait what <laughs> like it was beyond what we could have imagined and i mean her her speakers were phenomenal i mean they went to bat for her they loved her they they put it everywhere she did facebook ads too but i like to say it was her uh, her speakers that really went to bat for her and and tried to get as many people as they possibly could 30,000 people and I believe it was an 80K revenue. I believe that's what the number was. And then you have to think about, she also had a back-end product that she was going to sell. So who knows <laughs> you know, right. what that, that final tally will be based on creating that summit. But to me, that was the biggest summit I've been a part of. Crazy, all the, <laughs> the emails, but it was awesome creating that and being a part of that.
0: Do you remember like what your reaction was when you like saw the numbers going up? Like at, at the start of the summit, was it like creeping up or did it was it an immediate like jump and you were like, oh, this is well, bigger.
1: You know, the first couple of days you're like that it's open because honestly, we we market for maybe like two, three weeks. So the first couple of days, you're you're not expecting too much, but it's like, okay, we got people and it's from her list. So we're super excited about that. Her list is nice and uh, robust it's in itself, but she wanted more. And then as it just kind of grew. It was just like, wait, 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 wait. And then we would recognize when someone would promote, because it would be spiked. And we're like, oh, somebody promoted. And we'd look and see who who it was that promoted and sent out all the emails and did all the things. So it was it was exciting, but at the same time, we're like, okay, it's this is for real and we're about to do it. And we gotta kill it. It's gotta be amazing, and we gotta bring the value to these people. So I mean. For me, it was awesome. For her, it was awesome too. But it was a little bit like, "Ooh, okay. What do I got? What have I got myself into? What do I have to do?" So you mentioned
0: that she had a a decent sized list before that. What what was it? She kind of starting with there.
1: She was honestly, I can't remember, but it was in the thousands. So she had maybe at least ten thousand ready to go. Which you know, again, people who are in summits think like, "Oh, well, I need to have a list beforehand." That's not the truth. It's just a little easier if you already have a list going into your own summit.
0: I wanna jump in here and talk a little bit more about the various reasons you might want to run a summit for your business. The most common reason to run a summit is probably the same as Nicole's client, to grow your list fast. Growing a list of 30,000 people might take years of work in order to achieve organically. As we'll get into, there's a lot that goes into organizing a summit, but if done well, you can dramatically speed up your list growth. The second benefit of running a summit is to make money off of the event itself. While Nicole's client clearly had above average results, she made a really solid profit off of her event. I will say that I personally wouldn't pursue a summit as a product in and of itself, as there are likely much easier ways to make an equivalent amount of income, especially if you already have a proven product or service that's working for you. That said, the potential for income is a fantastic side benefit to running a summit, And I do know a good number of people who've made significant profit on their summits. The real income from a summit, however, often comes in the follow-up offer, which is something Nicole touched on and we're going to dig in deeper in a minute. But before we do, I wanted to clarify something with Nicole. In the example she gave, her client had a sizable list before launching her summit. Would a summit still work for someone with a very small list? Or maybe even no list as a way to kickstart a new business?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So something that's coming to mind in particular, a zero list, we went up to about 700 uh, just from the actual summit, and that's organic. So that's not Facebook ads and all that sort of thing. Can you imagine having zero and then going to 700? That's, That's a business. You can effectively sell to that list, especially if they're interested in what your topic is and really are qualified leads who are engaged throughout your summit. So- It's definitely possible, and I've been a part of those type of events.
0: Yeah, I think it probably took me like over a year to grow, get my first 700 people on my email list. So starting off just like that, I mean, that would be a a nice foundation to build off of.
1: Yeah. Hers are about 40 days. We did it super quick, and she actually got Mike, you know, from Profit first. But having great speakers, having great connections, partnering up with people, you're able to build that list uh, organically for your very first summit if you're coming from zero.
0: Just a quick note, the Mike Nicole is referring to here is Mike McCallowitz, who wrote the fantastic book Profit First, one of the books that truly transformed my business. I'm planning on having him on the podcast in the future, but in the meantime, read his book. It is absolutely essential reading for any business owner. All right. Back to the interview. So are there certain types of businesses, um, maybe in in terms of product offers or how you run your business that are really well suited to summits? And are there maybe others that aren't so well suited to them?
1: Well, course creators, absolutely. It works very well for course creators. Uh, It works very well for membership folks. Honestly, anything, if you have a product, a physical product, you could do that as well. Selling that in the upsell of your summit any niche really it works as long as they have computers like if they're like you know rural rustic have no computer if that's your niche then that won't work but any niche really it will work and any offering that they have including services so if you have a service based business you're looking for new clients it's a great way to expand that it may over expand your list honestly (laughs) for what you can handle if it's just you and your operation so i would say anything and everything
0: so I noticed on your website, especially in your kind of offerings listing, you talk about, you know, who an ideal client is for you. And in most of the the different offerings, you talk about how important it is to have a vision for your summit and what you're looking for. So what does that vision actually look like? What should people have in mind uh, before they get into, you know, coming up with the whole concept of this summit?
1: Yeah, so the concept of a customer journey is really important for me. So I feel like I just want to have a summit and, you know, I want to build my list and that's it. The summit will not be worth it. You need to have a clear idea of where you want to go. The summit, I've said this before, the summit is the appetizer. Your course is the main entree or whatever you want to call it. You know what I mean? Your group program is a dessert. You know what I mean? You really want to have it in your brain that the leads from this summit. And a lot of people will look at it as like the summit is the moneymaker. No, it can make you money but that course getting people those qualified leads to your business and then selling the course that's the money maker so having that clear vision of i want a summit it's going to go into a course and then i'm going to go into a group program or you know whatever the case may be but having some kind of clear vision of where you want these people to go and not just saying i want a summit just because i want a summit you'll find yourself discouraged and it won't work out if you don't have that clear customer journey
0: So if you have that vision in place, you have your upsells, maybe even two or three upsells down the line that you're going to work people towards after the summit, where should you start or what are some of the kind of key components when you're thinking about pulling the summit together? What are all the bases you need to have covered?
1: Okay. So first off, if you're doing it by yourself, you know, I give myself time. (laughs) That is the biggest thing. I think so many people try to pull together summits, you know, it's two weeks. It does not work, people. I give myself at least 90 days. I try my best to do 90 days for clients. Sometimes they're like, oh, I want to 60, which is fine. But if you're doing it by yourself, you really do need that 90 day kickoff window to get everything done. Then I would really think about the purpose for the summit. What is the purpose? What are you going to provide for the audience? What is that result that you want? And after that, I would then go into what are the topics that are going to meet that purpose or that result? What is it that I need them to know in order for that result to be achieved? And then once you go from there, you start thinking about, well, who are the people that could support this topic, who know something about the topic? And a lot of people, they they think about the people first, and then they start talking about, well, they're an Instagram person, so they'll talk about that. Or they're a LinkedIn person, they'll talk about that. I'm very much the opposite. You need to consider your topics. You need to have some kind of journey, as I call it. So does it make sense that you're talking about advanced strategies of LinkedIn if if there's no kind of journey to that? So think about your topics, then pair it with someone who knows that topic, obviously research them. Think if you can reach out to them, Instagram, DM, start commenting on their stuff start getting to know them, you know what I'm saying? Like not fake, but start to get to know them and they get to know you, and then make that pitch out there. Hey, I'm doing this summit conference, whatever it is you wanna call it, virtual event, and we're trying to provide this result. And this is my audience. Getting very clear on the result and conveying that to your uh, speakers. That's kind of the beginning part of it. Making sure that you're ready to go, that you're ready to put in the work and that you're ready to pitch in the speakers.
0: When you start to break down Nicole's process for structuring a summit, you might notice that it's essentially a really in-depth lead magnet. It's meant to give your audience a defined win while getting them onto your list as well. This is where understanding your customer journey becomes really important. You need to know where your upsell offers fit into that customer journey so that you can use the summit to educate your audience to the point where it makes sense for them to actually take you up on it. For this reason, the content of many summits is somewhat broad appealing to a wide variety of people at various stages of the customer journey, whereas the upsells themselves are highly specific, focused on helping a particular type of person at a particular stage in the customer journey get a particular result. Nicole touched on speaker outreach and how to get started on getting on your ideal speaker's radar. I wanted to dig in deeper though on how to actually pitch and land speakers who you might feel are a bit out of your league, like for example, Mike Michalowicz, who we mentioned before.
1: Well, let me tell you about Mike. So, my client actually knew him from a coaching program and she made herself known. <laughs> she's the type of person that she's like, hey, this is who I am. And he's like, oh, I like you, you know? Um, so, she, that's how she got Mike. Let me just be very honest with that. Um, so, if you're in these group coaching programs and things like that, you need to position yourself as someone who's the authority in your own right. So when you send out the call for speakers and say, hey, look, I'm really interested in getting this person. Does anybody know that person? Just send out the call. Does anyone know this person? You'd be surprised. We'll go, oh yeah, I know their assistant. Let me send you, you know what I mean? Like those little things. So that's how I would get quote unquote the big speakers, Also, be aware that some of the big speakers are like, "Oh, you got to pay me." So, (laughs) you know, yeah, they'll they'll say yes, but you got to pay me. But also, they probably won't promote for you. So, be very careful with the big a listers and reaching out to them. You know, oh, they're going to get me all these people. Just having their face will get some people to the door, but they probably won't get anybody to the door. Just a little heads up there. Um, (laughs) So, as far as pitching to make that process faster. What I do is I call the three round pitch. I list all of my people, everybody I want, anyone I'm interested in having, right? And then I pitch them all. I choose one day, I schedule for every single email. So you might have to work a week before and just write all these pitches, all these pitches and schedule them to go out over a period of one day, okay? You're going to get a few that immediately says, yes, absolutely, I'd love to, Can you imagine you sent out 50 emails, you get 10 yeses right away. That's the goal, right? So after that round one, three business days later, go ahead and send everyone who didn't reply round two pitches. And round two could be a template. So the round one, it needs to be a little bit more personal because hello, they need to know who you are and how you know them. Round two can be a template. Hey, I'm following up on you being a speaker. I'd love to interview you. But some people are like, I'd like for you to be a speaker. Say, I'd like to interview you. People like to be interviewed. They don't like to speak. (laughs) It's more work for them to speak, right? So round two, and then I say five business days later, for anybody who didn't respond on round two, do round three. Template it again, okay? By the end of those three rounds, you're going to have a full roster of speakers because you've done all the work on the front end on that round one pitch. And now you, you know, it speeds up the process. You know, I know some people are like, oh, only do 10 this day, 10 that day. Oh, you'll be pitching forever, especially to get the number of people you want. Just do it all and one, one day have them all get set.
0: So you mentioned 50 emails maybe sending out at the start. Is that kind of a target number that people should be looking to have on their list or would you aim even larger than that? And, and kind of what's the, the goal for a
1: number of speakers to have in your summit as well? Number of speakers depends on numbers of days think maybe like five to six speakers per day. I've seen some, it's like 75 people, that's not possible. And like, it's not possible for people to get through it. So they know that. And the point is like, okay, yeah, you gotta buy the upsell, you have to, you know what I mean? But it's just overwhelming, overwhelming for people to watch or even think that they're gonna watch 70 some videos. So again, five to six speakers a day, that's comfortable to the point where people are learning but they also hunger for more. So they will hunger for your upsell at that point.
0: And then what's the benchmark in terms of how many people we should be reaching out to?
1: At least double. So if you want 20, I do 50 (laughs) just to be on the safe side. But I always make sure I have people who I know will say yes. They're my friends. I've made connections. I've made collaborations. And then here's a pro tip. When you are asking them to say yes, Go ahead and get some kind of feedback of them of who else would be a good fit and ask for an introduction. You're more likely to get people you don't know from those introductions than just blindly pitching people.
0: So when you have your your lineup of speakers locked in and ready to go and it's getting into the promotional period, I know one of the big challenges about these types of events is you might have your own list, which can be really helpful and, and can really drive the success of a summit. But for someone who's starting out who has no list, you're really relying on all the other contributors and speakers. And I mean, even if you have your own list. You can really get a a much bigger reach if all of these people are also sharing so what's the best way to kind of encourage that sharing on their part to their own audiences
1: making it so easy that they have to so what i mean by that is you're on your instagram stories and you're just tagging people look at this person they have an awesome talk coming up on the second day and you'll find they'll be like, oh, that's easy. Oh, repost it on my thing. It's just make it super easy. Feature them, especially those with those audiograms. And they're able to, oh, I love it. Send an email or text to them and say, hey, I got a post on Instagram featuring you. Oh, okay. Boom. Repost. So easy social media. Make it super easy to do everything. Provide them swipe file, but you know, everything you possibly can. Nice images. Now, if you have images that Kind of poorly put together. They don't look, you know, they're not going to promote that. But IG stories is kind of like the number one place they'll quickly throw it. And then their email list, obviously encouraging them, making it super easy for them to send us their email list. When you are actually pitching them, see if they'll send that email. You know, we'd love to get a wider reach. Would you consider sending one or two emails to your list? These are the dates I would recommend to send it. Make it super easy where they're like, okay, send it to their VA, (laughs) the VA schedules it, and it's not a problem because it goes in their content. And then also another point for that 90 days, allowing the 90 days allows for that content for them. Because if you're like, oh, in the next two weeks, they're like, well, I've already got my e-bills ready. I've already got everything ready. But they probably don't have 90 days already. So consider that.
0: So- obviously there are a lot of uh, benefits that can come out of running a summit like this. The list growth, the revenue, uh, but they can also cost quite a bit, to, in, both in time and money, to put together up front. Uh, and one of the things that uh, we actually met through a virtual summit that I was a speaker at, and we had a call about uh, sponsoring the event. And this is something that I haven't seen from, from every summit that I've been a part of, but is a really interesting kind of option as a way to maybe like break even before the summit even begins, cover your costs. So how do you kind to put a sponsorship model in
1: place and who should you be reaching out to for that? Well, the first people you need to look to are your speakers. Like speakers want a little bit more, you know, shine, (laughs) you know, other than here's my session, the end, right? You know, they want to have their product or their business front and center. So look to your speakers first, ask your speakers, would you be interested in sponsoring this event? That's one thing. So how do we go about doing the sponsorship thing for summits? So this is one of those things where I everyone has a different opinion. I personally am kind of a a la carte kind of sponsorship coordinator. I like the thought of people getting out of it exactly what they want. So if I am somebody who wants video, I want in, in front of them, I want to present, I want to show how amazing I am and, and how cute I look that day. I'm going to say, I want video or, okay, I'll give you a video session, a keynote. I'll send an email out to promote it. You know, if I want visibility, then I want to get on video. If I'm not kind of like that, I'm like, well, I really want leads. I want email addresses. Okay, well, we can have a specific page for you. We can have people giving you the email address. We can have a freebie or opt-in that's available on your session. Really zero in what is the goal of that sponsor? The other school of thought is just having a package, just gold, silver, bronze, whatever it is, and just saying, this is what you get for this, and this is what you get for that, and this is what you get for that, which is perfectly fine. I think it works in both ways, but I think when everyone is so cookie cutter, it's like, well, how can I stand out in this sponsorship world or in this particular event? So if there's two golds, well, you know, I'm sharing my gold status with someone else, you know, they don't feel special in being that sponsor. So for me, I like the a la carte, really understanding your goals. A lot of other people don't, that's okay. Do the packaging, but be very clear with your sponsor, what is their goal? What would they want to achieve being a part of this event before you present them with any kind of like, you know, this is how much it is. I've also seen this happen, Where people want to be sponsors, but they just don't have the money to put up for those sort of things. So consider, if you have a sponsor who has a large list or a nice social media presence, having a free option, but that option comes with publicity. They must do emails, they must do social media posts, and I would make it rather high, in exchange for sponsorship status. It's really a way of getting a lot more people in your door and that organic reach that we talked about instead of you know, maybe doing a Facebook ad, it's a way of getting more people in the door.
0: So when it comes to the most successful summits that you've been a part of, have you noticed any common traits that kind of run between all of them? Like the people who are successful at running summits do these things or have these elements as a part of them and the people who are less successful are missing out on those things or are doing negative things that are hurting themselves?
1: Yeah, having amazing uh, relationships and collaborations kind of pre-established before we actually went into the summit realm. The ones that really did well were the ones that had those speakers who were really going to bat for them and sending the emails and sending the social media and really cared about the host. So maybe that's a little frou-frou on answer, but it's true. I mean, those speakers who cared are the ones who did way better for their summits. And also those who really had a handle on the process. So even though you know, I'm the producer and you know, we're helping you through the process, they really had a handle and they knew what's the next step. And they were a master of their business. They knew their business inside and out and they knew what would work. And they also had a team. <laughs> Sorry to say for the solopreneurs, they had a team and their team knew them very well. Those are kind of the three I would say.
0: Yeah, that's something that I've noticed too with those types of, of summits and bundle sales and those types of things. When the contributors or the speakers are really invested, and especially when they have a background in online marketing, they understand the benefit. Sometimes with, with people who are newer to online marketing, they might be a great speaker, but they might not have the full systems of like how they're going to leverage this and like you know, really see the benefit to them. So I think sometimes you need to really make it clear to them. And uh, we haven't actually mentioned this, but typically a speaker would earn an affiliate commission on people that they send to the summit. And so if it's a $100 ticket, anybody they send there is going to get $50. So if you have thousands of people on your list and, and get hundreds or thousands of people to sign up, you can get a pretty good uh, payday as you a You can get a nice
1: return, yeah. I think uh, the highest payout I've seen is like 10000 15000 for one of these, for an affiliate, I mean, it's it's possible. If you have a list and you're promoting for a, a summit a host, it's possible to get a nice little chunk of change from it, for sure.
0: If you're looking to grow your audience, guesting on podcasts is one of the best ways to increase your exposure and spread your message. And it's totally doable yourself. With a bit of planning, podcast guesting allows you to get in front of hundreds or even thousands of your ideal clients and then pull them back to your own content. I put together a free mini course to help you understand how to target the right shows for you and make pitches that actually get you booked. To sign up for the course, just head over to betterwellness.biz slash to get the first video in your inbox today. I mentioned at the start that Nicole has extensive experience in the world of nursing. In fact, she's worked in seven distinct nursing fields and is still working as a nurse in addition to managing a team and building her summit agency. With so much going on, I was curious about how she manages her time and directs her focus.
1: I really have tried to do like three things. Like what are the three things that have to be done? Relying on my team for sure. So setting up a team was essential. Once I realized, I was like, whoa, okay, <laughs> this is getting beyond me. And the fact of the matter is I gotta work. Like I gotta go to work too. And it's seven o'clock and I'm like, oh, I really wanna be at the computer working on something. I had to get a team in place. So for me, focusing in on three things that are like just dire, I've got to do it today. And also not doing too many things. So I thought about like, oh, I'm gonna do a course. I'm gonna do a group coaching. Like I thought of all these different things I could do with this business, but I settled on, let me be a service provider. Let me do this and do it well. And then I'm going to expand once I set up my team and it can really run in an efficient way.
0: Yeah, I like that you said that. And I think a lot of times people will Get 75% of the way there almost. And they will be successful. Like the business is profitable and it's working, but it's like you almost need to like really squeeze that lemon to get the last juice out of it almost. And like the really good stuff is at the end of it. And so you can like put in all this work and get most of the way there and you are successful and you're making a living off your business. But if you put in just a little bit more effort rather than transitioning somewhere else, and that's probably when the boredom starts to set in. But if you can like push the rest of the way, you can actually create something that is really able to run more on its own and is really more valuable to your clients and to to you more profitable. So I love that you you mentioned that about focusing in and not doing all these other things, being like, I'm just gonna produce the best summits I possibly can and be really known as as the person who can deliver on that.
1: It took me a while to learn that though. I mean <laughs> because my eyes are just like, eh, you know, turned around because you know, the online marketing world, they didn't teach me this in nursing school, you know, I can save your life, but I can't do all this like social media stuff and all this stuff. So I really had to learn like focus and cut out this noise and stop trying to be the jack of all trades, like really focus in on one thing.
0: So looking back maybe six months to a year ago, what was something that you were kind of stuck on or holding you back? Maybe a mindset shift that over the past year, the past six months, something like that, you've gotten past and now realize like, oh, this was the thing that was keeping me from getting to this next level. Is there anything that comes to mind?
1: Yeah. Pricing. Like, I was just like, well, you know, I don't think anybody's going to pay this much. You know, like, I just don't think everybody's going to pay. I didn't value the service. And then I thought I had to make it cheaper for people to want it. And somebody literally told me, was like, no, like, <laughs> you, the people who are really who you want will pay it. And not only that, I was like, well, where am I going to get these people? That was also a really big problem of mine. Like, how do I find people who have the money for it? And once I got the one person in the door who would pay me for it, once I got that person, then the next person came. And then I started making friends with people and they would refer me. So for me, referrals was really huge. I started pricing myself accordingly. And I still need to price myself a little bit better because you know it takes time. And I I think people value what they pay for. If you're paying $10,000 for a service, you're all in. You're doing the work that I asked you to do. You have the best interviews you ever did. See, you're all into that service. So for me, pricing, I'm still working on it. It's a mindset shift. I'm worth that.
0: Yeah, and I think it's a rare person who doesn't struggle with that and who doesn't undervalue themselves. So what's something that you believe as you're growing your business is like absolutely essential to building a successful business that you don't feel actually gets enough talk about it when you're listening to business podcasts or reading business books? Is there anything that comes to mind that like you believe that this is really important that you don't hear other people talking about?
1: Well, I mean, I feel like I hear people talking about, but like the consistency, like showing up every day and it means something different for everybody. Consistency. So I know for me, I'm not consistent with social media. I'm not consistent with, (laughs) you know, I don't go live on nothing. Like that's just my personality, but consistency in what it is you're doing. So consistently reaching out to new potential clients, consistently growing your list, if that's what you're doing, being very consistent in what you're doing and not getting your eyes turned for every little thing. I made the mistake of buying everybody's course and listening to everybody. You know what I mean? I was the trifecta. I got James. I got Amy. I got Marie. I got, you know, I I literally have all of them, (laughs) you know, and in one year, I think I bought everybody's. You got to kind of keep steady, have that vision, not go everywhere. And again, focus in on one thing that you're doing. For me, consistency, I don't even ask for referrals, but My consistency is just treating people nicely and doing well for them and going to bat for them. And I want to see other people succeed. And that's honestly how I've been getting my referrals, being very consistent and and seeing people win.
0: At the end of the day, helping people win is probably the best way to get referrals and grow your business. Whether you're a $10,000 or a $10 million a year business, helping more people get the results they're looking for is going to get you results as well. So even if you struggle to be consistent with Instagram, email marketing, or writing blog posts, if you can be consistent with getting your clients' results, things are probably going to be all right. Before wrapping up the interview, I wanted to ask Nicole about something, or should I say some people, I know she is incredibly passionate about, and what we as business owners can take away from her relationship with them. Those people? The Backstreet Boys.
1: (laughs) This is going a different direction. (laughs) the pictures to prove it if you need if you need the evidence <laughs> okay,
0: so maybe first off how many times have you not just seen them but met them
1: hold on i've got my pictures above hold on i'm guessing seven i'm sure it's more
0: that's amazing one of the things i'm really fascinated about in business and just in life is like this idea of super fans and clearly you're like a oh, yes. toys super fan <laughs>
1: I'm a New Kids fan, too. So I right. have <laughs> met them at least five times as well. So let me I got the pictures to prove that, too. <laughs>
0: so. <laughs> so when you're like thinking about either of these, either New Kids or Backstreet Boys and like what makes them resonate so much with you? What's pushed you from like average fan to like diehard super fan?
1: Yes. Yes. And honestly, it's when you meet them. OK, fangirl moment. When you meet them, you literally you meet them for maybe like mm, one minute all these vips you don't talk to them you're not like having a conversation one minute but in that one minute you feel like he sees me and the person i'm talking about is kevin for all you bachelor person he every time i go straight to him i tell my friends you better not even think about going next to him i go to him and every time i met him he will look me in my eyes and say how are you doing what's your name you don't remember me what's your name oh my goodness and you know You see this video, I'm like melting, like, oh my goodness. It's amazing because you feel like they know you. Quick story, my very first time, it was a VIP party after the actual show. I mean, this was the first time I was like, wow, the boys are really men. You know what I mean? They were doing some crazy antics on the stage. The women bringing girls up, doing crazy dances. Anyway, so at the very end, they were leaving. And I had not had any kind of interaction with Kevin. I was like, oh, you know, like, uh, he didn't even see me. Like, I was so upset. He came over like literally, he was about to leave, the security guard was pulling him over, he stopped. And he realized he hadn't done every single part of that section. He stopped and came back. He came directly for me and he said, thank you so much for coming to the show, I re- to me. And I was like, oh. and I said something stupid like I've loved you since middle school or something dumb like that. <laughs> the connection. You get a super fan when there's a connection, when you feel like you've been seen, when you feel like they care about you. He didn't know me, but in that moment, it felt like he cared.
0: I love what Nicole said about feeling seen and how that feeling is at the root of what makes a super fan. So often we're focused on scale and breadth instead of depth, aiming to have shallow relationships with many instead of deep relationships with a few. I think that's a mistake. It's something we talked about in last week's episode with Shauna Van Bogart, and something I'm sure we'll keep coming back to again and again. I have a client with an 800-person email list and a podcast that averages 200 downloads per episode who just had a $300,000 launch. She did that because she's put in the work over the past two years to build up a whole tribe of superfans who deeply believe in what she teaches, how she teaches, and who she is. To continue this conversation, I'd love to hear who you're a superfan for and why. You can head over to betterwellness.biz voice and leave me a voice message, and I'd love to feature your response on an upcoming episode. To find out more about Nicole, virtual summits, and a whole lot more, head over to fempreneuronline.com or look her up on Instagram at fempreneuronline. You can find those links, links to everything else we talked about, and a photo of Nicole with the Backstreet Boys in the show notes for this episode at betterwellness.biz 014. In next week's episode, I'll be chatting with Victoria Albina from Feminist Wellness, all about the role that feminism and social justice play in building better wellness businesses. We'll also be talking about what we can do to make our products and services more inclusive and accessible to people who may have a history of being shut out of the wellness space altogether. Not only was this one of my favorite conversations to date, it's an incredibly important issue that we all have work to do on. This episode was produced by our amazing team at Counterweight Creative. Big thanks in particular to Karina Penner for her work on the show notes, Ari Lombardozzi for his help with video editing, and Casey Bowen and Francesca Mamlin for their work behind the scenes to keep everything running smoothly and on schedule. To you listening, thank you so much for spending this time with me, and until next time, keep building better.